everyone, and welcome to the Able Voices Podcast. I'm Dr. Rhoda Bernard, Founding Managing Director of the Berkeley Institute for Accessible Arts Education, and I am proud to present this podcast featuring disabled artists and arts educators. We are inviting artists with disabilities to be guest hosts for the Able Voices Podcast. Today, you'll meet our next guest host, Anna Cowley Ford. Anna Cowley Ford is a post-disciplinary artist from rural West Texas. Using her experiences living with chronic health conditions as a touchstone, Ford explores the often bizarre world of living with chronic pain and disabilities. Along with manifesting sensory experiences, her artwork conveys the social and domestic impacts of health conditions on a chronic scale and the patient's experience navigating the U.S. healthcare system. Ford's practice includes, but is not limited to, functional and sculptural ceramics, textiles, large-scale installations, video, and accumulated medical objects and documents. Artwork like self-portrait ceramic busts and fabric figures instigate conversations around the body, non-visible sensory experiences, and disability. After earning a BA in art from Grinnell College in 2011, Anna Cowley Ford established a studio practice and has shown in juried and solo exhibitions nationally and internationally, including in Dallas, New Orleans, Des Moines, and Leeds, UK. She will complete a Master of Fine Art in Studio Art in May 2022 from Maine College of Art and Design. Afterward, she will continue her visual art studio practice. This includes making a range of work that could be exhibited in galleries and exhibitions and sold through her website and stores. When not in the studio or raising heck, Kali Ford can be found in the garden. Welcome, Anna. We are delighted to have you as the next guest host of the Able Voices podcast. Hi. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're so thrilled to have you here. I'd like to start off by asking you to tell us your story as an artist. How did you start as an artist and how did you get to where you are today? So I feel like it's a little cliche, but my story as an artist probably starts when I was a child. My parents had their own business making home decor out of barbed wire, rusty metal and used lassos. So very much had a Southwest theme going on with it. I, so I really grew up surrounded by the design process, watching their ideas be turned into a physical thing that was then mass produced and sold. Mm. I also spent a lot of time crafting with my grandmother, who taught me how to sew and make dollhouses, uh, and that really left a big imprint on me. I remember turning over a ceramic spoon rest and seeing my mother's name etched into the bottom and it was like this lightning bolt rod moment of that's so freaking cool that she made this and we <laughs> use it every day. And holy shit, when I get to college, I want to take a ceramics class. And I did that my first semester. So as an undergrad at Grinnell College, I ended up majoring in art. When I turned 20 is when my migraines turned into a daily chronic condition. So it felt natural for me to use my artwork as a way to communicate this thing that was going on with me so suddenly. Mm. After graduating, I moved back home with my parents 
and converted some of our buildings on our property into a clay studio for me. So we have all these buildings on our property from when they had their business. Um, and so that has just been, I'm very fortunate in that regard. I, yeah, I would not have been able to build my studio practice or pursue an education in art without their financial, physical, and emotional support. Um, because of them, I'm able to devote this time and energy towards an art practice. Wow. So as for getting started as an artist, I think I initially spent a lot of solitary time in the studio building a portfolio of work, trying to make me feel like I counted as an artist. Um, I really, I've done a lot of putting myself out there, cold calling businesses, asking if I can have a pop-up exhibition. It's been really nervy. I started out practicing a lot of fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to call myself an artist, introduce myself an artist, and maybe eventually I'll believe it. I've also had to do a deep dive and expand my definition of an artist. Being my own worst critic, I used to not even feel like I counted as an artist. I don't sell very much of my work. I don't financially support myself from my practice. You know, I think we often are instilled in us this idea that the artist, you have to be in a museum to be an artist. You have to be a Picasso. And that's not true. So I kind of now believe that anyone who does something with intent is an artist, a chef, artist, an athlete, artist, a nurse, like there is an art to everything. Yes. So yeah, I think, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now with that. I love so many things that you talked about there. This idea of intention is what makes us an artist is something that we don't think about. We rarefy, we have this one concept of what an artist is, and I love how you've broken that open. And I love your story. Your parents were such great models for you. They really um, have been. And they've helped me so much with my own, like developing of ideas and brainstorming. Mm -hmm. Like the ideas are endless. And we're both, all three of us are artists. They love having another artist in the family. So they enjoy supporting me. While also, you know, I think I have a lot of guilt of being a financial burden, too. Mm. I bet they, they just cannot get enough of you. <laughs> I, I think that's and for you to be in this constantly creative environment, you know, yeah. in your studio, but then also with them. Very, very. Cool. So you alluded to my next question, but I want to take a little minute to give it some time and space. We want to hear about your experiences as a disabled person, as, a, as, as an artist with a disability. You talked a little bit about this, but can you expand on it for us? Yeah. I think my experience with being disabled continues to evolve and change with time. I've always been kind of sickly and weak and would get injured easily. In childhood, I get migraines from watching TV or movies later from sitting in classrooms under fluorescent lightings and having to carry heavy books and just, you know, the stress and anxiety of public school. And I don't know, I was a goody two shoes. I put a lot of pressure on myself, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it was in college, really when I turned 20, that they turned into a daily chronic condition. And the same thing happened to my father. So it's a hereditary thing. Hmm. I, it completely incapacitated me. And it didn't help that the primary care doctor I was seeing at the time was over prescribing medication. So I was starting to get these rebound migraine cycles. 
which then was also making medications ineffective. So it's taken a really long time to kind of understand what's going on with my body. And there's still a lot that's not known. But I have since been diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a connectivity issue in our bodies, endometriosis, and then chronic migraines, which may be connected to the Ehlers-Danlos and my body just like not staying together. Um, and then fatigue is a biggie for me. Like, I mean, it. these things are all like, could be so minor, <laughs> you know, but the confluence of all of them and the extreme that they can be has really, you know, I look like a healthy and high functioning person. I have... Yeah, I have health conditions that greatly impact my day-to-day well-being and ability to work. I have the benefit of passing, which is amazing because a lot of people don't have that benefit. And there's a lot of stigma around that too. But with passing, it has their own societal stigmas. You know, I get called lazy or crazy. There's people who think that all I want to do is lay in bed and not work. As if being bedbound for years and not able to financially support oneself is like the good life. You know, like it's not maybe in a small span of time, but not in a chronic manner. Right. Um, thank you for talking about the passing piece and yeah. the visible versus invisible and the misconceptions and stigma around that. I'm skipping around now because you're, you're making me move away from the script and I love that. You've talked about in your bio and on your website about how your disability connects to your work. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that in more detail for our audience? Yeah, I think it's my artwork is directly trying to translate my experience with my health conditions. And, you know, I in my bio, I talk about sensory experiences and like that's such a vague term. What does that even mean? But for me, sensory experiences are, that's how I'm kind of describing health condition symptoms or ailments, you know, like our nerves can create crazy light show physical sensations for us. And I've learned that sometimes I have to ignore those. It's just my nerves. (laughs) So sometimes it's hard to tell what do I take seriously and what do I not? Um, But anyway, yeah, my artwork is just directly trying to visualize these experiences that are not visible, because it's hard for people to empathize when they can't see what the issue is. Yes. If you have a broken arm, people know how to treat it. People know that you can't lift with that arm. There's that visible indicator. But with non-visible health conditions, you don't have that. And so people may give you a grace period for a small amount of time, but then at a certain point, it's like, okay, why aren't you better? Why, what's, what's the dealio? So trying to help people visualize, to understand, to like bridge that gap so there can be more understanding, more empathy and compassion. So there's an educational component. There's an expressive component. There's a people need to know this component. And then there's a broader, I think, educational agenda here. Yes, which I think definitely. is tremendously important. Tremendously yeah. important. And, and also a little bit of like activism component too, because yes. of our healthcare system and the state that it's at right now and the millions of people who are not able to get access to the healthcare that they desperately need. 
healthcare, I mean, <laughs> I am preaching to the choir right now, I'm sure, but healthcare should not be a class-based, you know, thing. Everyone should have access to it. Thank you for saying that. Uh, and I, I imagine most of our listeners agree, but it needs to be said, and, and you say it very eloquently. So um, you talked about how you went to Grinnell College and majored in art. Was that where your formal training started? What was your art education like? So I, I wasn't allowed to take art classes in like middle school and high school because they were like blow off classes. And so my, my mom was like very rigorous with that kind of education. And so she was like, you'll get to explore that when you go to college. So taking formal classes, art, you know, I took music lessons starting in like third grade, but art training other than learning from my family members started in college. And then... You know, I've done a couple workshops, like with ceramicist Lisa Clay, and then it's a lot of been like teaching myself and continuing to learn from others. There's a lot of power in that. Absolutely, um, you're forging your own path by yourself. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Well, and now there's so much information at our disposal on the internet. Like anything you want to learn, there's probably somewhere, someone on the internet either showing in a YouTube video or with step-by-step -step plans. Mm. Yeah, I'm forgetting where we were at with the question. No, you're, you're good. So <laughs> it's a combination of classes and curriculum and DIY. Yes, definitely. Yeah, and then I had that nine years, about nine to 10 years between undergrad before going to grad school, which we can talk more about that when we get to the education question. Well, that, this is the education question. Oh, so, perfect. <laughs> so talk about that time. Yeah, so I, I really appreciated having the time between undergrad and grad school, having getting more life experience, working on building my own studio practice, figuring out what it is that drives me in the studio that I want to focus on, so that then when I went to grad school, I had more self-confidence, I felt more self-assured, I was able to stand up for my body and my body's mm -hmm. limitations and not skirt that. And then I also was more self-assured in what I was wanting, what my body of work was going to be while I was in school. So that time in between was just absolutely amazing for going into grad school. So you could go into grad school with a really strong sense of who you are, yeah. what you want to be, what you want to get out of it, and what your purpose is, is what I'm Yes, hearing. exactly. Yep. And it would have been very different if I had gone straight from undergrad, where I still wasn't really sure, you know, wasn't also didn't have the confidence to speak up in academic situations when there's some yeah. messed up things happening in the academia, because that happens too, you know, where you kind of have to stand up for someone else or yourself or say, no, actually, thank you, but no, thank you. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's really important. And you also lived the artist life. So you knew that's, you know, and you say in your bio, that's what you want to do when you're done. Cause you've been there and you love it and you know it. And it's, it's a big part of who you are. Yeah. Very cool. So tell us about what you're working on now. Oh my gosh. I'm the kind of person that usually has like five very different projects going on simultaneously. And I'll work a little bit on this one, a little bit on that one. So, but one of the, one of my recent projects that I'm really excited about um, are these temporal sculptures. 
They're life-size self-portraits. So they're replica Anna heads. And I'm using materials that are biodegradable, that critters will eat, or that weather and time will erode. So I'm collaborating. I think of these other entities as my collaborators, animals, weather and time, or even tides. And they're stand-ins for health conditions because health conditions can feel like this other entity that is impacting you. And so these other entities are the thing that's visually degrading the self-portrait in an effort to visualize the effect. Mm. It's been a lot of fun. I've made one out of bread or McDonald's hamburgers. Cool. I've also made one out of bird, like suet bird seed. Um, and then I'm documenting these sculptures as they break down in a road and with like a wild game camera that I then stitch into like a stop motion video. So that's been a lot of fun. And I've been scheming other materials to work with. That sounds like a lot of fun. What a cool yeah. project. Are there images from that um, video on your website at this point? I do have some on my website and then also probably on Instagram too. At the end of this, we're going to want to get all your handles and information so people can find yeah. you. That's fantastic. So last question. Yes. What advice would you give to a young disabled artist? That's a lot of pressure. And I'm, I'm really not sure what kind of advice I would give. I know what I would give myself. Okay. Looking back. Um, and I would, I would tell myself that everything is temporary. Even with health conditions that are chronic, that sensation that feels like it's unbearable and you're at your wit's end, like that is temporary. It's really easy to feel desperate and swallowed completely by what's going on. Health conditions can be super isolating. Sometimes things can feel impossible, but there are people out there who love and support you and want to help you. And so finding a support network and a creative community is something that's helped me tremendously and just not feeling alone mm. with my solitary studio practice, but then also with the health conditions I'm experiencing. I love that advice. All of it, the temporariness of things and the importance of connection and community. Mm -hmm. That's tremendous. So, before we say goodbye, can you tell us how to find you online? Yes. My website is www.annacowleyford.com. And that middle name is C-O-W-L-E-Y. And then my Instagram handle is the same. It's at Anna Cowley Ford. And those are probably the best ways to find me. Fantastic. So I want to thank you for sharing your experience and your thoughts with our audience. We are really looking forward to our next episode where you will be our host. Woohoo. Thank you so much for having me. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Voices is a production of the Berkeley Institute for Accessible Arts Education, led by me, Dr. Rhoda Bernard, the founding managing director. It is produced by Daniel Martinez del Campo. The intro music is by Kai Levin, and our closing song is by Sebastian Batista. 
Kai and Sebastian are students in the arts education programs at the Berkeley Institute for Accessible Arts Education. If you would like to learn more about our work, find us online at berkeley.edu slash B-I-A-A-E or email us at B-I-A-A-E at berkeley, that's L-E-E dot E-D-U.